Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and we're down to the bare bones tonight, or some may say the cream of the crop. Brendan's dealing with a restraining order from Shawadiwadi. Martin's in a conference call with a Saddle River Spunk. And Jefferson's writing up a story on Caleb Chukwamika joining Carl Zeiss Yena for €25. Euros. But I'm very right. glad to be joined still by uh, Andy Bodfish and Ian Brandt. How are you doing, guys? You OK? All right, Good mate. Yeah. to be part of the elite podcasting crew in cobblers um, mate the, the the it's not we're not the bare bones what you're talking about we're the, we're the elite mate you want to put this out on patreon people would pay <laughs> good money to about join it's, it's the spine yeah it's, it's, the spine of the it's worth it for uh the you know the heads up that caleb chukamika is going to call zeisiena in east germany for 25 euros i've heard it's actually gone down to 15 euros now and a couple of <laughs> bottles of uh coca-cola so yeah good deal actually well, i think i just it just reminded me did you see that that documentary about like early international imports into english football it was on itv for a few years back and they're saying like the first few, you know like when when foreign transfers became a new thing and um i can't remember who it was someone signed someone from poland but because they were a communist state instead of paying with money they paid in photocopiers and um <laughs> I, I've not heard that. At least it wasn't trouser yeah. presses. You know what I'm thinking about them. Along the same lines, there was a similar one. It was um, Sergei Baltacha, who was a, um, a USSR international, um, signed for Ipswich in about 1987. And I came across this. It might have been Mal, Mal Winkle's Football Memories or one of the other Nostalgia forums accounts mm. and so, so there was this photo shoot of him you know rocking up to portman road um you know just to make sure that he, he was you know his his eyes were opened by the west company car larder <laughs> i think that's a fair that's thing taking the you're taking a piss mate aren't you <laughs> yeah but footballers just they just love a freebie, don't they? So they'll take a larder, whatever. <laughs> it's like um, Stan Collymore buying Andy Woodman's um, Vauxhall Belmont off him, didn't he? On that story on that on that um, Under the Cosh podcast, he thought he was getting a good deal. Vauxhall Belmont? Yeah. What was the story, Ian? Because I didn't hear that, hear that one. 
It was, it's just base. It was basically Woody was saying on this podcast that um, when he was at Palace, he never played for Palace, but you know he was a you know what he was like. He was a real dressing room character, even when he was a kid <laughs> there, and he was the reserve keeper when they very first let you have sub keepers. And um, yeah, Stan Collymore turned up and basically he, he saw him coming and he was like, Stan, listen, mate, I'm trying to sell this car. Don't let tell the other lads because like they'll want to like Gazumpia, I'll do you a deal. And Collingwood thought he was getting a deal, but the reason why Woody didn't want um the others to find out was because obviously they'd like told Stan, yeah, he's ripping you off, mate. But um the, the story <laughs> carried on because he said like years later he was playing for Oxford in the cup and it was on TV and they had um I think they were playing Villa and they had Collingwood on because like he obviously ex Villa. And when and he said Woody had an absolute nightmare. He let three in, one through his legs, one off his face. And like the commentator picked up that like Collingwood and Woody knew each other from their time at Palace. And he said, "Oh, it's got to be, it's got to be bad for you to see your old friend there um, having such a bad night." And Collingwood said, "No way! I still remember what happened with that Vauxhall Bel- Belmont. I think this is hilarious." <laughs> Story <laughs> carried on, carried on. You know, 15, 20 years later, he still remembered. But yeah, some, some great stories on that podcast. Really, really good. Like, um, doesn't really touch on the cobblers period that much. But what he does say is like just the great dressing room atmosphere that Atkins created. He basically yeah. assembled a team of kind of underdogs and rejects and kind of galvanised them. A lot of the time, though, galvanised them against him as like the kind of authoritarian. I'm going to make you run through walls type figure. So, but yeah. it worked. Atkins was actually, I think he maybe gave on away this persona that, you know, it wasn't hugely intelligent. I don't know, but I think he was actually a lot more cuter in terms of psychology than people giving credit for. So he did know how to get the players going. Woody said that. He said he was he was ahead of his time. He said that he knew how to motivate people. He said he was ahead of his time with all that motivational stuff he did with that motivational um, lady he got in. And yeah. he said that, you know, he'd gotten fitter than anyone else. And he and he knew how to motivate him, even though, you know, it's kind of not mind games, but you know, it was that kind of right, I'm in charge of you, like, and then they were like, Well, we'll prove him wrong. It's like, well, good, that's actually what he wants. He wants you to prove him wrong because he wants you to he wants you to work extra hard. He actually did say that. And also, you know, we about it, but he was good at spotting a talent, you know. Yeah. And I and I actually remember when when Woody left and he sold him, um, and he made quite a good a good, you know, he got a good, I can't remember what he went for, but he got a quite good fee for him. And he said, look at that business. He basically said in the con, like, look at that business I did there. You know, he was, he'd never played a game. He was in a, he was always on the bench at Palace. Yeah. Um, and we've got him in. And then I've got Billy Turley in. And, you know, we've made, we've made a good bit of profit for the club there. I don't think he yeah. wanted to sell Woody. He just dropped him. Woody flounced off, despite what the um, rumours were behind the scenes at the time. I think that uh, that was sort of part of Atkins's, well, there's, you know, multifaceted uh, grievances against the club in certain ways. But one of the things he was saying to the board, I think, when they were trying to sack him or were about to sack him, was I brought so much money into this football club in various ways yeah. through transfers, through the Wembley trips and stuff. And, you know, you, I'm not, you're not showing me enough faith when the times are bad. And I think it's probably looking back on it, a, you know, warranted complaint, really. Well, Kevin Wilson got them pretty much straight back up. Maybe Atkins would have if they'd have 
kept him in the job or you don't know I don't know I don't know what happened well we do know a little bit about what happened behind the scenes because of all the interviews you've done Tom but that could still have happened under Atkins potentially you know he had a good core of a squad because like we said they they went they went back up and they were a really good team that year they went up under Wilson weren't they so Mm. probably that he did probably deserve it really clicked for him here as well didn't it clicked better for him here than anywhere else he went as a manager Mm. he did he did never We'll always remember what he did for the club. Unbelievable memories, especially you, Andy, sitting in his living room listening to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it, mate. Yeah, I still can't believe that happened. Looking back on it, Andy, when you sat in his living room, did you ever think that I'm sitting with the man that would actually scout Robert Lewandowski when he was available for two? Ah, oh, yeah, that just cropped up when you just said about how ahead of his time he was. But um, no. I reckon it's true. Basically, I reckon he did scout him. No. And uh, I remember, I still remember laughing. We weren't going back in too much because we need to crack on, but I remember laughing watching the World Cup one time and it was scanning on the through the crowd and there was Ian Atkins in Brazil watching the World Cup. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Brazil. I, just, I laughed to myself and I said to him, oh, I saw you on the TV in Brazil. He was like, yeah, I just was just out there for a little trip. I'm like, that's what Atkins is like. He uh, A lot of his players says that he always... Uh, he always has a laugh, laugh, so fair play was to it, him. Was that tw- what, 2014? 2014 World Cup? In Brazil, yeah, wherever it was in Brazil, yeah. He was out oh, there. Oh, man, that's that's fantastic. I miss that. He, he's probably saying to himself, well, he can he, you know, he can take it past five players and talk, whack it in the top corner, but can he do it on a Tuesday night in Hartlepool? <laughs> can he link up with John Gale? <laughs> that's exactly what, Can he link up with John Gale? That is exactly what he would have been thinking. Another thing Woody said on that podcast was every time he went to throw it out or roll it out, it Atkins was like, what are you doing? Big boot, big boot out on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Good days, good days. But, um, uh, yeah, we've, di- we've, we've, we've diverged again, but uh, it's, it's good. Um, Andy, have you got a football moment of the week for us? Does it involve Ian Atkins? It doesn't, unfortunately. It involves another <laughs> um, member of the managerial throat coaching pantheon. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I've got a question for you both, actually. Um, do you think Pep Guardiola has ever seen I'm Alan Partridge? Because <laughs> Guardiola's the other night, we know about his um, his acumen in um, in terms of coaching and, and all the rest of it. Uh, Champions League winner um, as player and coach, sartorial gent. Um, but he, I, do you see his misstep the other night? He was wearing a Castrol GTX jacket, basically. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> you see these wonderful three-quarter length affair. Um, I'm sure, you know, click and collect from Selfridges, Manchester or whatever. Uh, multiple hundreds of euros. You turn around, you've got a monochrome Man City badge on the back of it. <laughs> it might as well have said... Castrol GTX. That I mean, I, I, I saw the reaction. I just, I couldn't believe it. I just <laughs> couldn't believe my eyes. What, what are you playing at, mate? I mean, I, 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 it's a new low I'm... for um, it's a new low for managers' uh, sartorial choices because my dad's always gone on about people like Mourinho. They've always got a jumper on that's just slightly too small with like a tie that's done up too tight. They never get it right. And it's just, an, they've taken it to a whole new level with this Man City jacket, hasn't he? Completely, uh, you know, similar to, I think it's when he goes to the funeral 
isn't it? Alan Partridge yeah. goes to the funeral. Is yeah, it it's Tony, Tony Hare's funeral? Yeah. Chris Feather. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Tony Hare's funeral. Actually, um, I was going to say, I thought I thought Andy was going to say like that maybe you know there's having a bit of downtime at the training ground, obviously skeleton staff because of COVID, and he's he's walked in on Brian Kidd doing an impression of him, like Alan did Lynn, and then he's got his like phone gone onto voice memos, and he's left like sack Brian Kidd for being. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll know next post-match interview if he mentions our chocolate oranges are available from Warrington. <laughs> exactly my train of thought. But yeah, um, yeah, um, as usual, completely forgotten what we're talking about. Yeah, just uh, oh, we're talking about um, obviously uh, Guardiola's terrible jacket, which you need to go in room 101 if everyone saw one. My one is about actually. Today it was mentioned on the news, and it's not set in stone. It's still up in the air about the Euro 2020, which is funnily we're in 2021. But it's been mentioned that it might be held in England this summer because they had been planning on having this multi-city system for their some sort of anniversary of the Euro European Championships. But I think allegedly there is some thought that maybe if you have it in one country with covid you can sort of just you know the biosecurity of the whole thing is improved and england has been mentioned and just as a as a joke i'll put out on twitter that um if northampton could be a training base for a i doubt we'd ever get a game let's face it milton Keynes is far more likely to get a game god forbid if that happens but if not sometimes they have training bases in certain towns so northampton might be a, for instance a training base so i'll just put it out on twitter if Northampton was a training base, what team would you want to come to Northampton? Uh, uh, various other things. Where would they train? Um, who, where would you get the food from to, to feed them? And where would you um, sort of accommodate them? So I was just thinking, I reckon I want to come to Northampton if we hold the Euros. I was thinking Hungary, because that link with Gabor Diepes. So Hungary. And uh, the training venue would, of course, be Billionaire Aquadrome. Because they, you know, there's not a lot of people going there now, and they've got a lot of grassy areas you could convert into pitches. It's a bit boggy there, mind you, but I think Billy Aquadrome would be a good training venue. They could nip over to the uh, little pub there. At the same time, not just that. I mean, there's not just the one pub, mate. You've got the Billy Mill. You've got the, the kind of high camp pub, haven't you? Um, yeah. Like, I remember when I was passing through, like you know. Billy Nacrojone, you kind of place you go for a couple of hours, don't you? Take the kids, maybe take one. Mm. And I remember going past there, and there was a poster that Shane T. Jr. was going to be doing a gig there. Can you imagine, like, talk about team bonding for the Hungary lads, watching Shane Ritchie Jr. doing a show, having them, like, you know, chips and chicken in a basket. That'd be great. But I just hope. I just hope it doesn't flood again while they're over it. That'll just be a disaster. <laughs> On top of COVID, <laughs> flooding. And also the smell, like the sewage works, that, that sometimes if the wind's blowing in the wrong direction, <laughs> it stinks, doesn't it? But you can imagine doing some like water skiing and stuff on those lakes and that. That'd be good. Definitely. There's also there's, there's scope for that. There's a water skiing on the lake. There's a, 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 amazing uh, fishing facilities down those little creeks and rivers and stuff and little lakes. But it could, it might coincide with one of those rain, like they do Land Rover shows, don't they? Or like they do like they have like the classic cars there yeah. and stuff with like these. I think what you get there, you get a lot of those guys that are big Range Rover fans and they have badges on the back that say One Life, Live It, don't they? 
Yeah. I reckon the hungry, I reckon the hungry lads might like embrace all that culture, and they might start wearing <laughs> like t-shirts with wolves on. You know, like those guys, they have beards, don't they? Sometimes they <laughs> wear cowboy hats and they wear like t-shirts with wolves on, don't they? Howling wolf on a t-shirt yeah. or a uh, or yes. a fleece with a howling wolf in the back. It's always purple. Uh, I think you're on to something there, Tom. Can I just announce something to our podcast um, subscribers? Whether or not, like, listeners, sorry, whether or not, like, um, hungry are there or not, but Tom is going to launch a Patreon. And if you sign up, not only do you get to join in on the podcast, you're going to get, when COVID, when all this is over, COVID's finished, you're going to get to spend a day at Billy and Aquadrome with Andy Bodfish. Oh, <laughs> on yes, a, I, on a pay, I can see the posters now. And the hungry team as well. If they're, if they're over here, uh, like international footballers subject to change, just put a little start asterisk on that little Patreon um, award. But yeah, if you're in our top tier of sponsorship, yeah. we'll have a day out with you down at the Billing Aquadrome. Imagine that in a caravan. You, oh, music, God. music by Ray Vaughan. <laughs> The only downside I think I slightly worry about is because the Hungarian players, they might be a little bit bit naive to the ways of being in Aquadrome. They might go down that, that arcade there and get a bit addicted to that five-pound jackpot fruit machine. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they might get roped into the karaoke that's going on down there on a pretty regular basis too. Yeah, yeah, it's a slippery well, slope. We're going to miss some training deadlines and stuff. Well, it is a, it is a slippery slope when it floods, Tom. <laughs> which is quite often i was i was thinking for food as well like i was thinking originally the imran bolty hut on the welly road to feed them but at the same time there is a chip shop up in aquadrome just near the petrol station i don't know if it's still there but they actually did uh deep fried mars bars a couple of years ago so that'll be uh, a bit of a treat yeah no that and kebabs as well like continental cuisine yeah that was quite a good chippy time i hope it's still there Deep fried kebabs. Well, they did kebabs. They, I don't know if they did deep fried kebabs. They did, they did kebabs as well as deep fried Mars bars. Yeah, I used to go there now and again. Okay. It's nice there. I think during Euro 96, Bulgaria, I think. Actually, your mate's with Kevin Hunter Day. He did the piece, I remember, seeing on a you know, Euro 96 sports night or something. They, they did something similar. They, they stayed at sort of – because they played in Leeds – a Newcastle in Euro 96, mm. Bulgaria. And I think they were based at, like, Grimsby... Seriously, Grimsby Town or some such. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It was it was de- definitely around there. Maybe Lincoln? Hmm. It's not beyond the realms of possibility, I don't think. I think there's Northern Macedonia in this tournament. Don't quote me on that. Let's have a quick look. <laughs> so, yeah, there's some yeah. sort of unusual countries in there. Um, North Macedonia. Where would you put North Macedonia up? I reckon. Um... <laughs> oh, one of those quaint little sort of terrace hotels on the Barrack Road. Oh, yeah, yes. That's the north. That's the north of Northampton. That's perfect. And you know, there's there's plenty of pitches in the Kingsthorpe area. You've got Kingsthorpe Rec and those Acre Lane youth pitches. They could they could make use yeah, of both of them. And you've got Barrett Barrett's just down the road for a little bit of you know snooker wind down time. Ah, uh, 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 yeah. So that would be the, like the north, northern campus for our Northampton Euro base, just down Barrett Road, Barrett's. There's that, um, there's that uh, designer clothing shop I always drive past, never been in. 
it's like above one of the shops designer men's really? clothing they could just go in there for a bit of r and r a bit of retail therapy Where, where's that it's down that road barrack road as you Is go it? up towards king's Cross. on the right it's above a shop somewhere it says like designer discount clothing and he's going to be not, in there for his <laughs> not that um little building on the corner just after yeah. barrett's as you're going down yeah i think it's that yeah Think okay. Yeah, the, yeah. Total aside, did anyone ever go into clues back in the day oh. on College Street? Yeah. Go, go, go in there, go in there, and you're thinking, mm. my mate was saying this, like you go in there on a Saturday afternoon and you try a, <laughs> like, a shirt on and it's like 40 quid and the yeah. lad would go, oh, yeah, you look, you look great in that. You're going to pull the birds tonight. And you don't want to let him down and you want to look cool in front of him. And you're thinking, yeah. if I buy this, I'm hardly going to have any going out money for tonight, but you're buying it, <laughs> and then you regret it instantly, and you're thinking, oh, my Mate, God, I'm going to have to buy That it. is such a universal experience. It is, yeah. That could, that could be me and my mate talking. We were having this conversation not that long ago. That's why I mentioned it. And it was about right, the time. We used to go in there about the time when um, Grant, Grant Mitchell... Uh, <laughs> In EastEnders, I used to we used to watch EastEnders in those days. And Grant Mitchell, every single episode of EastEnders, Grant Mitchell used to wear a Lacoste shirt. Mm, I mean, yeah. I don't know whether he ever got to keep them, but my God, if he did, that is thousands of pounds worth of clobber. And you go in, and they'd be get... like, and they'd be like, a Grant, the one Grant Mitchell was wearing last night on EastEnders. And of course, it'd be like hundred quid or something. Yeah. And you go, yeah, you go like, yeah, that's the uh, that's the Grant Mitchell one, that is. And so, oh, I don't know. And then you flick to another one and you go, I prefer that one. He goes, yeah, that one's better. It's just, you just ended up pressured into buying shit in there. That's perfect, that. Yeah. And it was, do you reckon there's a whole generation of guys that have got these pretty, like mid-level, pretty expensive designer <laughs> clothes that they, they hated as soon as they got home, but they just yes! were pressured into buying. They're like, oh, that was my one God, of them. what have I bought this for? Yeah, this showed me and my mate yeah. of like pretending pretending to puke when you know when you bought it because it's like you know basically we're students and working down the um you know the John Lewis warehouse on on Brackmills and I'm paying forty nine pound for a YSL shirt. What are you doing, yeah. mate? And in a colour that don't suit you and really is not that <laughs> nice. It's got a label on it, and you're like, this must be good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, the worst that, one that... was, um, have you ever been in Thackeray's on the Welly Road that's been yes. there for so long? You, oh. you go in Thackeray's. I've been there probably about five times in my life. I go in, just walk in, look at some of the things, and they go, you're right, mate. And you're like, yeah, I'm all right. You know, play it cool. <laughs> you know, I, I can buy a Stone Island coat for 500 quid. You look, at, you look at about two things, a pair of, you know, Ralph Lauren swimming shorts for 100 quid, and then you're, you're in and out of the, the door within about five minutes, sweating. <laughs> yeah, mate, that is so true. It's all about the eye contact. Once you've locked eyes, uh, shit, I'm going to end up spending 100 quid that I don't even want to buy something on here. Yeah. Just because I feel bad. I was quite good at, I'm quite good at escaping. Like, I wouldn't feel particularly pressured in that sort of fact. I sort of just sort of make my excuses and leave. But I can imagine you end up spending a bomb in there if you haven't got that willpower to get out. <laughs> Well, when you're yeah, a young just... lad and you're sure of things, that's how you end up in that contract, don't you? You you think, oh yeah, this is <laughs> how I've got a lot. I want to look. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to let down the salesman in clues. Yeah, I better spend fifty quid on that um, Ben <laughs> shirt. So and yellow shirt. And, um, yeah. And maybe it, tonight, it, we'll be tonight. 
it made me wise to the language of sales, you know, sort of being in those Definitely. horrendous shops and situations. Because I always used to be fascinated yeah. by the way those guys would go, um, yeah, I've, I've got that in a medium. And I'd be thinking, but you haven't, have you? The shop has. <laughs> it's, not, it's not your gear, is it, mate? You're just working it. I've got one of those no, left get, in a medium. I can do that, mate. I can do that, yeah. I can knock <laughs> you £2 off a, you know, a £95 shirt. Oh, can you? Can you? That's really nice of you. You're such a wonderful <laughs> human being. I've got one of these oversized pink and uh, green and purple chevron <laughs> jumpers that you don't even need or want. That won't fit you. I've got one of these left, mate. But you just got your name on it. Okay. Here's my Advertised buddy. by Grant Mitchell. <laughs> 90s designer like mania. It was a strong thing. Sergio Giorgini. <laughs> He, he tried to buy the cobblers, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mates, mates of Giovanni de Stefano. Let. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to Saturday's relegation. 12-pointer against Swindon. It's good to be joined by football writer and Swindon Town supporter Benjamin Wills. How are you doing, Ben? Quite a big game this weekend for the Robins and the Cobblers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be a, should be a good one as far as League One relegation battles go. <laughs> and I'm well, uh, thanks and happy you are too. Yeah, very oh, very well. In the, in the circumstances of a relegation battle, we're quite used to it as Northampton fans, probably as Swindon fan as well. You've been through the mill quite a few times. Yeah, Swindon are a funny club. We're either in uh, playoff finals or getting relegated. They're often, uh, often not too far apart. And obviously, we both came up together um, last year. So, uh, yeah, a good season. Probably expected better going into this year. But uh, COVID and other factors has led to Swindon being uh, yeah, quite average and certainly a bit of a damper from, uh, from last season. Yeah, that's quite similar to Northampton, really, because we're often a yo-yo club. We are, like you said, either in the playoffs or a relegation battle. Never a dull moment, which is maybe why a lot of fans stick with it, because we're not really mid-table teams. We're not like a Rochdale, which is stay in some one place forever. There's always something going on. But unfortunately, at the moment, it's at the bottom end of the table. Are Swindon fans accepting that you're in a relegation battle or is the, you know, the last couple of results made them think maybe you're better than what the league table suggests? Uh, I, th- I think it's been quite a weird season. I think I, was, I touched on it a second ago that going into it with Richie Wellens, we were kind of expecting, you know, upper mid table, maybe even a playoff push, given that League One, you've got some really good teams um, near the top, but the rest of it is quite average, and you see a lot of average teams go up. So I think Swindon could have been pushing for it under Richie Wellens, but then he, yeah. depart- he departed with Salford. Uh, there's been quite a lot of problems uh, regarding money at the club, and then John Sheridan came in, and he's not been amazing since his tenure. So I think Swindon fans are accepting they're in a relegation battle now, and, and given the COVID situation, a lot of a lot of fans from a lot of clubs would, would accept being a League One club next season and still being alive come you know 2022. So I think mm-hmm. I think Swindon's expectations and hopes have have been a bit all over the place since uh, since August, but um, I think they're just by accepting that it is a relegation battle. And if you offered many Swindon fans 20th, I think they uh, they take that right now. Yeah, I think um, depending on what your points per game ratio is, a lot of fans in our predicament probably want the game the season to be voided and just stay up because it's just the way it's going. There's no, um, no one's really looking forward to games at Northampton at the moment. I don't know about Swindon, but it's just going to be a, a quite a. a sort of uh, stressful end to the season and one of us probably hopefully both of us will scrape up maybe none of us will but we'll see I guess um Swindon can be buoyed a little bit by the previous two games I've looked at um you beat crew 2-1 which is a very good result I really like crew and um drew 2-2 with Lincoln so that suggests that one that 
those results came at a good time for confidence and two that then you might have something in your locker just to be able to scrape up yeah I think if I was an Northampton fan looking at that I'd be um I'd be quite anxious but I think some of them fans will tell you that the crew win, especially, was incredibly fortunate. I think crew battered us from from minute one. Probably should have been two 0 up in the first ten minutes. Swindon got a a very fortunate level of a, a comical own goal. If you haven't seen it, try and um, try and search it on YouTube. It's an, it's a brilliant own goal for crew to make it one all. And then um, and then Twine comes up a 90th minute winner, completely gets a run of play. So if there are any Northampton fans listening that are worried about that win um, in particular, then don't uh, because that was a believe me, that was a fortunate Swindon win. The link of one was a lot more credible. We're quite disappointing that Swindon took the lead twice and uh, and didn't see either of the, those leads out. But um, I think if you offered many fans uh, a draw uh, pre-kick-off, including myself, I would have taken hands off. So, um, so yeah, Lincoln was a better performance and a, and a very good result. But uh, Crew was uh, slightly more fortunate, to put it mildly. Mm, but even if Crew did outplay um, Swindon during that game, it's still a, a a league of fine margins and sometimes even if you just get that little bit of luck it can just get you that one or two or three points that you need just to stay up so I wouldn't really sort of be downplaying it too much it's still a win's a win isn't it against a good crew side so it's uh yeah it just suggests that at least there might be a little bit of grit in the uh, Swindon side when it's needed um how did the transfer window go because you know I haven't really kept too much of an eye on the Swindon comings or going do you reckon the squad was bolstered or weakened during the transfer window I think it was definitely weakened. I think it started off as a bit of a disaster. We had uh, we had Matt Smith recalled um, by Arsenal, one of our best players this season. I think he wasn't really getting in much with Sheridan, so I think he really liked the creative player, which bemused many a Swindon fan. He's been recalled and sent up to uh, promotion chasing Charlton, which should tell you all about that scenario, that mm. you know, a relegation for a manager didn't see anything in him, but uh, a team that partnered for promotion won him, so that was a, a disappointment. And then Gialan Jaisimi, one of the most talented players at the club, signed a free deal in the summer. Uh, he was snapped up by Charlton as well, and that was on deadline day. So that, that caused a, a lot of uh, a lot of panic and, and uh, disappointment on deadline day, but they were replaced by the likes of Jordan Garrick, who came in last minute as replacement for, for DJ, and uh, a couple of more decent players. Missaloo looks okay, but he's a more defensive midfielder to replace Matt Smith, who is more offensive. So yeah. I think generally, it went pretty badly from the losing t- two key players, but the players that have come in the likes of um, Dominic Thompson and and uh, and Christopher Missler have done okay um, since coming in, but I think some of the fans are still uh, reeling from the departures of um, Matt Smith and especially uh, Jalen Jasimi. Well, obviously Missler played for Northampton before he played for you guys, so we know a little bit about him. Um, he's a defensive midfielder. He just seemed to me to maybe. How would I describe his impact? He just seemed to sort of, I wouldn't say go missing, but he'd have quiet points during games. Maybe his link-up play wasn't, you know, great. But how has he done in his few games for Swindon so far? Yeah, he's looked okay, although he didn't play, to my knowledge, in the tour against Lincoln. But he was one of the uh, brightest parts in the, in the crew game for me. I think he's I think he's doing okay. He's more, he's only, as far as I know, he's only here um, until the end of the season just to see how he gets on and... Uh, Anthony Grant, who was a stalwart of Richie Wellens' title-winning um, team last season, hasn't quite got into Sheridan's faults, really. Um, there's been you know, rumours of a bust-up that are, uh, are denied by Sheridan, but he seems to be like very much of the Anthony Grant mould, just a, a defensive midfield destroyer that um, looks to break up play, and he's he's doing OK in that. But I think many Swindon fans would like Anthony Grant's return um, sooner rather than later. Oh, Anthony Grant's a very good player and the sort of play. He's got a bit of experience as well, a bit of... Now it's about him when he's on form, so you, you really want him in the side, I guess. Um, I guess that takes us on to the tactics. 
And maybe why Mizalou has done not too bad is that do you play a five in midfield and sometimes maybe Mizalou needs that support? Uh, do you know what? You probably know as much as I do about Swindon's tactics because they can be a bit all over the shop. Uh, oh, okay. Since Sheridan has a has come in, we've, we've experimented with three at the back, five at the back, four at the back, and two up front and one up front. So, um, yeah, I yep. think some fans find out what's going on at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, even then they're not quite sure. So they probably find out <laughs> about ten past three and waffle them up. But, um, but yeah, we, we've uh, experimented quite a lot as Sheridan tries to find the winning formula to get Swindon away from the uh, away from the bottom four. But generally, I'd say it's a, a three-five-two. But he will he will mix it up uh, now and then and. And there have been some games, alarmingly, where it doesn't look like Finland are playing any sort of system at all. So um, your guess is as, good as, is as good as mine in that regard. I don't think that's necessarily a negative because sometimes when you're right down at the bottom, you have to be fluid in your in your tactics and just try and unlock games as they come. And you obviously got injuries and there's a COVID situation. So I think maybe one of the criticisms of Keith Carr, who's obviously now left, is that he was always sort of fairly wedded to sort of one system. It, come rain or shine, whoever was in the team, whoever wasn't in the team, it just became a little bit predictable. So maybe that unpredictableness of John Sheridan's tactics might be, you know, part of his plan. It might just be he's just trying to spin a few plays, but I guess we'll see. In terms of players to watch for Swindon, um, there'll be a few Cobblers fans that are, you know, keeping an eye on Swindon. It's not too far away. Um, and we'll have a little bit of an idea of your players. I've looked at a couple. I just looked at your forward line because... I'm worried going into Saturday's game that Cobblers just can't score goals. We are just we're lowest scorers in the league. We just can't score for love nor money. We play pretty well. We get into the final third and it just seems to go to go to rubbish. But it just seems Swindon might have that little bit more experience in terms of goal scoring or forward play. I looked at Brett Pittman, who used to play for Bournemouth, took them all, all the way up to the Premier League. So he's been there, seen there and done it. And a player you, you can rely on, is he? He scored um, in the last game. We've never been massively prolific, but would you say he's one that you can rely on up front? Uh, Brett Pittman's a funny one. It kind of, it kind of um, divides uh, fans' opinion, but it's more yep. the case. Um, he's, a, he's a good striker, knows what to do, but he will not move around the pitch. So uh, as long mm. as you get him in the six-yard box, he will score goals for you, and he's a very much a, a right place, right time sort of striker, but he does annoy um, people in equal measure, given that he will not run and he wants everything else. So yeah. Uh, Brett Pittman to create something out of nothing is not going to happen but yeah. for, for a team like Swindon they're sort of relying on those half chances and you know a goal against Wigan stands out where it's, it's a rebound and I think you're slightly offside but it's a rebound and it gets a crucial goal and a one win over a, a relegation threat side and in midweek um, Lincoln were caught playing out from the back it hit a Swindon player landed at Brett Pittman's feet and he taps into an open goal so Brett Pittman does well on score sheets you see his name a lot but uh, he doesn't make as much influence on the pitch so mm. it's hard to hard to say whether he's a key man or not in that regard he's not going to be the one that makes things happen against Northampton mm. he, Clearly we just need to keep it tight with him he's he's not like you said not the one that's going to beat loads of players set up his own goals and finish he if you have a sniff of a chance he, he might finish um another one I looked at Jordan Garrick on loan from Swansea I think he has got Jamaican heritage uh supposedly pretty fast maybe you know a little bit of um higher level technique although he hasn't uh, featured that much for Swansea I don't think how have you uh, rated him since he's played yeah I mean it's obviously quite early on because he signed on deadline day in January so we've not seen yeah. a great a great deal of him, but um, he, he's, he's 
bit of a mixed bag. I think in two games he's played up front in a 3-5-2 and it doesn't really suit him because he's definitely more of a winger. Mm. And uh, on, on Tuesday night, I guess, Lincoln, he was played as a winger and scored. So that probably tells you a lot about what to expect from Garrick. If you play him in the right place, he will score goals for you. But um, yeah, he should be a key man and he kind of really needs to be given that, as I mentioned earlier, he's a replacement for Jai Sima. He was a key man. So uh, a lot of Simon fans hope, want and need uh, Garrick to uh, you know, find goals and assists to, to keep them up in, in place of Jai Sima. He was doing a pretty good job. Mm. What about from your perspective? Who would you say to Northampton fans listening that um, you know we should look out for in the Swindon side? I think the main one in terms of uh, making things happen, the danger man, if you will, probably be Scott Twine. I think if anyone's seen his exploits on at Newport earlier on in the season, he's often scoring from 30 yards and being um, Newport's key man and Swindon recalled him in January. Um, he's been in and out. He's, he's mainly in, but I think given he's only about 20, the, the Sheridan does like to rotate him a lot. But um, yeah, he's he's always capable of scoring a goal out of nothing. He does like a, a long ranger. And the likes of Hallam Hope, he's, Hope's quite a strange player. When, once he's on the pitch, he's normally quite involved in goals, but he often finds himself as a bit of a, a super sub sort of player and probably doesn't get the minutes that he deserves. But when Hallam Hope is on the pitch, he's normally coming out with something. Yeah. Uh, Hallam Hope used to play for Northampton on loan back in the day. I think he was on the books of Everton at the time. But, um, you know, he's quite a straightforward player. He's got the attributes are quite obvious there with him. It just depends if he can get his rhythm. And if he's not in the team week in, week out, I think that can struggle a little bit. So be interesting to see if he starts against another one of his former clubs. There's a bit of a link here between uh, <laughs> certain players that have played for both sides. Goals, as I've said, are a huge problem for Northampton. Are goals something that you go into games worrying about? Or what would you say, you know, firstly, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about the goals first. Is it a problem for Swindon or not? Um, it's it's another kind of a strange one. I wouldn't say it's a, a massive worry. We don't expect to be not scoring every game, but I think Sheridan's sides do lack quite a lot of creativity. So if, if someone mm. isn't coming up with a bit of magic, like Twine coming up with a, a 30 yard and Swindon don't ever look like scoring, but like I said, Pittman is kind of a place that if you just get him in the right place and the right time will score. So if a ball happens to bobble in the area, then Pittman will latch onto it. And I think I think Swindon's main concern is is keeping goals out rather than rather than scoring them. We're conceding in, in the first five minutes a lot um, recently, and it's a bit of a, a running joke that uh, Sheridan will say it was tight for the first five minutes before uh, the opposition score. So if Northampton have got history of scoring early, then uh, it should be in, in luck on, on Saturday. And it was uh, you know quite the opposite on Tuesday night where we scored in the first minute as opposed to conceding, which uh, was a nice change, put it that way. Mm. Northampton haven't got much of a history of scoring at all, especially this season. So <laughs> I won't worry about that too much. We are nil-nil specialists. If you're a betting man, a nil-nil at the moment is pretty good, especially if you're maybe, you know, not the most creative. I wouldn't sort of shy about away from that. We'll talk about the match predictions in a minute. But um, what about in your central midfield? Because we talked a little bit about Northampton's weaknesses, which really go back to Curl's recruitment. In a lot of ways, he had his hands tied because we had a budget cut, which is sort of understandable during COVID. But for me, the central midfield has been a problem. The centre-back, or the defence was a problem as well. We were leaking of quite a few goals, but we seem to have shored that up a little bit with Lloyd-Jones, who was uh, brought in at sort of the start of the season. He's pretty steady. And then Alan Sheehan we've got, who used to play for Luton, who's just a steady Eddie and quite a good player on the ball. So that seems to be OK now, the centre-back role. So for me, the problem, part of the problem is obviously up front. Scoring is a massive problem, lack of a finisher. But the central midfield for me is always a key battleground because we just seem to lack a bit of dynamism through the middle. Sometimes I worry we lose a midfield battle, especially in mobility. So we have Sean McWilliams, who's a 
very highly regarded homegrown defensive central midfielder who does his job, you know, tackles, gets the ball moving a little bit, but then often we'll play either one or two midfielders along with him. So someone like um, uh, Bryn Morris, he's in on loan. He, for me, doesn't really have too much drive at the pitch. And then we've got people like uh, Sowerby, who's, you know, been much of a muchness, you know, and not one thing or another too much this season. And we've got Ryan Watson, who is quite a good box-to-box midfielder, but maybe a little bit slight and can maybe drift out of game. So would you say that central midfield could be an area where um, Swindon might sort of try and win the uh, early tussles and try and get a hold on the game? It's possible. I think one of our centre-mids in Jordan Lydon is possibly one of the best players of the club, but he's injured quite frequently and probably will be on Saturday as well. So I don't okay. think they're going to get much luck there. And, and Swindon's midfield is quite strange in the fact that if Mislu's not playing, then Swindon will go for a three-man midfield of um, Matt Palmer, Jack Payne and Scott Twine, which none of them are defensively minded. They're all offensively minded. Um, yep. So if Northampton has any sort of grit about them, then they should be okay in in in, um, in winning that midfield battle because you know, they're, they're three players that are quite slight and, and more creative rather than you know the Anthony Grants or, or Missaloos that will break up the play. So yeah. it can be quite weak in, in terms of that regard, but it does actually create um, a decent amount if, if the rest of the team is struggling. So yeah, the midfield battle could be a, a really interesting one. Yeah, it seems quite an intriguing game on Saturday. There seems to be various sort of face-offs, some... You know, one side's got a positive in one area and then the other side's got a negative in another area. So it just seems that, yeah, it should be quite a decent encounter. Hopefully, I'm a bit bored of the turgid League One games where it's just basically looking at your watch for most of the game and someone scoring one goal and that'll finish it. So an exciting game would be would be quite a good one for the, the punters to watch. Um, I guess that takes us on to a bit of a score prediction and how the game might go. I'm just trying to work out from my own perspective how you know how it might play out. Are you how are you any good? Uh, sorry, Swindon, any good at um, set, defending set pieces? Because we're pretty good at set pieces when we put our mind to it. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a, an explicit weakness, but at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily back most of our central defenders to do uh, quite a good job at set pieces. I don't think they were that great under Wellens because he didn't really spend a lot of time on them, never really scored from them, and didn't, yeah. uh, and didn't keep. Um, um, loads out, but I, I think uh, the centre backs have been quite weak over the course of the season, so I wouldn't back them to do too much. That could be uh, Northampton's main main threat if uh, they fancy doing anything from the set piece. Mm, and it just it, it just seems that there's a potential for quite a cagey game because it's one of those the games where Swindon have got a little tiny bit of leeway through their recent results. It's just almost sort of you know not not worth talking about in terms of the points, but um, just that little bit of leeway, little slight little bit of confidence, but. You know, if they lose Swindon lose against Northampton, they'll be thinking, "Wow, we're we're right in this because we're not a great side, Northampton." Let's face it, we are trying to do our best with what we've got, and a new sort of caretaker manager might even be a permanent manager by Saturday. And, and John Brady is a guy who used to coach the um, youth the youth team, so we're not we're from a Swindon perspective, we're there for the taking really, and it's a, it's a good bellwether about how you can actually do. But if we, you know, if we win we'll be looking to try and sort of kick on from it. So that might suggest a bit of a cagey encounter where no one wants to give anything. One sort of goal could um, could split it. But no, I'm trying, I'm sure you can sort of almost hear my mind working, trying to sort of work <laughs> out what the score, because we do a prediction league, so it's all sort of quite important that I try and keep myself up to the top of the league. You know, my head is saying 1-1. That's what my head is sort of screaming to, but screaming to me. But I just reckon one team might, you know, just wrestle it from the other. So I'm going to go 
sadly for Northampton this is I'm gonna go two one Swindon. I I should really go with my heart and you know say five 0 Northampton, but I just try and be real on this and I reckon Swindon might just have enough to win two one. What do you reckon? Uh, if you're going for your heart, I will go for my head and I will say the one will draw. I think this is gonna be, I think this is a set up to be quite a cagey affair of two pretty uh, teams that try to defend and don't really succeed and are not massively creative either. So um, yeah, I think. Hopefully we'll see goals though, so we'll go for a one all rather than a nil nil. But um mm. if this if this doesn't end in a draw, I largely expect it to be settled by one goal from, you know, a, a Brett Pittman esque uh, goal like, off his chin uh, in the six yard area. So I don't think uh, it's gonna be a, a particularly uh, it's it's not gonna be a goal fest, put it that way. And if you're sick of those, you know, two bottom of the league uh, league one teams struggling, uh, I don't think you're gonna see anything different on the weekend, sadly. So mm. um, if you if you pay ten pounds for the I follow game, I think you'll see a very cagey one all draw. It's probably quite good that a lot of people are just watching on iFollow because if it's terrible, you can just go and make a cup of tea, go and read the <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> if we're stuck in the ground watching this football, it'd just be like, oh man, you can't escape it, or go to the toilet or something. But yeah, I don't think it's got all the makings of a classic, but we never know. It could be a you know really high scoring game, something to entertain us all, which we all need in this lockdown. So um, yeah, um, your score prediction seems perfectly reasonable. We'll just finish off before before we let you go. Uh, with just a little bit of chat about Swindon off the field. I like to sort of delve in a little bit, nothing too you know, deep, but just to delve in a little bit about off the off the field things because that can often colour the way Swindon perform on the pitch. Um, I think your chairman, Lee Power, has been quite candid or, you know, he's been saying what he thinks about, you know, the finances in football and the finances at Swindon in particular. And he was quoted on the BBC to say that Swindon are on the brink of bankruptcy. Are you confident about Swindon's finances going forward? Uh, not particularly, but I don't think it's just Swindon-centric. I think it definitely applies to pretty much every club in the in the Football League. I think Lee Powell is one of the few that's actually come out and said it. I think he's trying to look for some decent PR. And I think the main problem with his comments, rather than saying that Swindon are in trouble, because I think most people would have guessed that. And like I said, most clubs in, in the league are probably fitting that as well. I think there's just a, a few um, accusations of power not running the club quite to the uh, extent that he should be. So mm. that's the problem that he's got to face in terms of working on his... Um, PR and trying to reassure people that Swindon's being run properly but in terms of the actual quote of Swindon being um, near bankruptcy it's probably accurate but um, like I said it's probably not just a Swindon problem. Thanks for um, taking the time to talk to me and um, we'll, we'll try and catch up after the game and see how it goes but um, take it easy and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks a lot. Cheers mate, thanks for having me on. Cheers mate, bye bye. Let's move on finally to the A to Z of the Cobblers. To be honest with you now we're getting into the what would you call it? The dying strokes of this <laughs> feature that Ian came up with we're in the letter U so, so what else have we got U V W X Y and Z well, that's gonna yeah that's gonna go well it's gonna test the feature this it's gonna stretch it to its limits but you mm. know that's just the way it goes we've got to be in it to win it you know what I mean we've got to, we've got to do it to its end we're gonna do every one you know even if we come up with like one answer we'll still do it but um has anyone got a U for us you two um, I saw somebody tweeting it in, um, Robert Ullathorne. I can't remember what I was doing. I was buying something in the club shop. Uh, maybe the shirts were half price. Um, him and Des Little were just hanging around the club shop. And I know that, and it's like, that's all, no matter no, no matter what the kind of era, that's always been a thing, especially in six fields. Like those players that have got a commute, have got a long drive back up. If they're not staying in that house in Upton, um, that's what they do. They hang around the club shop until it's time to go back up the motorway. So I remember him and Des Little just standing there waiting around, chatting to um, chatting to Janet, 
basically thinking, and I was thinking, yeah, they're waiting for their lift to get back up the M1. So, yeah, <laughs> that's my Rob Ellison story. Great, great player, great goal against Mansfield, and um, yeah, part of the M1 crew. Ian, your mention of that house in Upton, it feels to me almost like a house of horrors idea. You know, that house. It's another, it's another you, isn't it? The Upton house. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, you know, sort of mid, mid to late noughties, that was the big thing, wasn't it? Reality shows, filming people, you know, getting up to mishaps in a house like, you know, the Osbournes or whatever. You can imagine if they set up a camera crew in that place when Nicky Adams and the like were in there. Oh, my God. Can you imagine what scenes that they would they would capture in the Upton the Upton house? Yeah. And it's like it's weird though. It's like a it is like a kind of TV show because it's like people leave and people new people come and go and you have your like carryovers, don't you? Like oh he's like mm. now the that the dad of the house and like I know Buchanan was there, wasn't he? Because he was obviously the players who got their roots up north would mm. would stay there, wouldn't they? So you'd have like, yeah, you'd have like the ones that who's tidy and he's clean. And I remember when I going to the park run on a Saturday morning, I saw um I saw um Di Cornell and Buchanan like like walking out of there on their way over the road to get the coach to an away game. I was thinking, oh yeah, you guys live around here, don't you? You know, that's it's a funny one, isn't it? It must be weird. Like it's almost like a student culture, isn't it? Like we all stay in a we all stay in a house together, me and my mates, and just have a laugh, and then we go and play football. Can you imagine, like, putting someone like Kevin Fortnan in there? Uh, yes. Who else? <laughs> just a few loose cannons and let them live together. It would be absolute carnage. But, um, yeah, I reckon that would be quite a good fly on the wall little thing for that House of Horrors in Upton. God knows what those walls have seen. I, I dread to think. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a couple of good ones. Um, Phil Kirby tweeted us. And just a picture, actually, and I had to work out who it was. And I just sort of just had a vague memory of this guy called Michael Owizu. Thank God he was born with a U in his surname. It's helped us out so much. And I remembered him vaguely. I could sort of remember him as sort of an impact player. And I put it to the WhatsApp group. And I think Jake Moore was like, yeah, he saved us from relegation in two. Th- I don't know. I can't remember the exact year. Does anyone remember that? But he, I think he scored a quite crucial goal, goal for us. He was a striker. Yeah, I do vaguely remember that goal. Yeah, yeah, that's so about looking all at I his, um, looking at his his sort of pedigree and where he's come from, um, Michael Owusu. I just always like looking at these players to see where they went and where they've been and stuff. He was involved at Arsenal, the youth academy. He played for Fulham, Dulwich Hamlet, big, uh, who um, Martin's a big fan of. Northampton Town played four games, scored one goal, which I think included that crucial goal for Northampton. And then he went to Forest Green Rovers, where he played 25 games, Thamesmead Town, for some bizarre reason, then FC Linköping City in Sweden. That's got to be. Let's have a look. Yeah. It's an FC Lings Forum then. Yeah, FC Lings Forum. Went in B&M's after his training sessions. No, FC Linköping City in Sweden. And then he now plays for East Grinstead Town. So that's a career arc of, you know, and a half, isn't it, for Michael Luizu? So that was a that was a good one for you. One of the few you players we can think of. Um, another one was the Quick Whitterton with the underpass next to Washington Square. Now that shows that sort of dates his uh, fanhood. Washington Square, Ian, you must be an encyclopedic knowledge of the pubs at Sixfields. Where is that now? Is that Sixfields Tavern or is that somewhere else? 
was suddenly burnt down, didn't it? it, it oh it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it became um, it became um, red hot, and then it became red hot and burnt down. It was che- it, it was Chevy's, wasn't it? It was Chevy's for a bit. Yeah. yeah. When it first opened, it was Washington Square. Yes, it was. I was going to say yeah, because don't forget Big Hand Mo's, but that was that was the the seven stroke the Rover and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now Washington Square was the pub when they first built Six Fields. It was the big pub down there. Don't think they let you in in football shirts. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it was like one of those big screens and stuff when it first opened. I went in there quite yeah. a lot when it was Chevy's. Not long after, they just renamed it. I think. They rebadged it to quote Partridge, and then yeah, <laughs> and, then it, and then it became a and then it became a red hot, which was like one of those buffet type restaurants, and then sadly it burnt down. But they luckily they replaced it with two profitable restaurants, so that was all good. <laughs> it's quite ironic that the place called Red Hot burnt down. Uh, <laughs> but Quick Richardson was referring to the amount of times away fans chased you through there. I never sort of left that way, so that didn't happen to me, but it's possible. He said Millwall, mid to late 90s, was horrendous. I don't know if he's just yeah. talking about being chased or just no, no, general. No, he's right. He's right. My mate, Stu, who's the same guy who ran in on poor Paul Stratford that, that yep. fateful night, and the one who was that clues anecdote, he got chased by Millwall down that underpass. Yes. And also, oh, yeah. going back to earlier in the podcast, that stink of... Um, sewage that you get a billion acrodrome you also get it coming out of that underpass when you come out the other end you know on the back of Sainsbury's car park stinks of sewage <laughs> yeah that the is little, true it's the little details and the match day experience that's what we miss during covid don't we i remember um we played we played hayes one time in the fa cup it rings a bell and i've rec- i remember hayes brought a little crew with them and they smashed the windows of the washington square i think if anyone remembers that, sort of rings a bell. Um, who are, uh, Ashley Hardy tweeted us about Michael Ouizzi just to mention it while well, we don't forget. Scored v Stevenage in 2011 to help keep us in the Football League. So thanks for that, Ashley. That gives a bit of detail to that. Um, he's also gone for Underhill Stadium. Been there a few yeah. times, home of Barnet. I told you that story about Barnet used to have houses that overlooked the ground and a lot of the time people were just doing stuff in their front rooms a bit like another story we've heard just like watching well, tv I, I and stuff gonna, so with underhill that was going to be my choice because that is one of the few um do you remember a while ago um somebody tweeted that the cobblers have only been on the saturday match of the day i think it was maybe it was three or four times sort of between the well the start of match of the day and the end of the 90s. No, maybe it was late 95, something like that. And Barnet away yep. was one of those one of those occasions. I'm going to go with three. Three times the Cobblers were on match of the day. And that was one of them. FA Cup second round, 1990. I went with my dad and Bobby Barnes missed an open goal with about 10 minutes to go. Yeah. Because I, I do remember one of the... That, being one of the few grounds that you went to because normally when you went away with the cobblers in those days it was kind of like crikey this is a proper football stadium no matter where it was it's got four sides and a stand that is not held up by scaffolding and crikey you know this is a real that was one of the few grounds where you didn't think that 
Yeah, definitely. It was, it, was like, just... it, was, it was a massive slope to the pitch, wasn't it? It was all a bit scratchy. Yeah. A bit industrial. Yeah, um, it was... Um, Barnet used to be a bit of a, you know, not a proper rival like Posh or anything, but they used to be a little bit of a fairly local team. So Cobblers used to go there yeah. in quite big numbers. So it became, I remember there used to be the charm. We all follow the Cobblers over London Sea and Barnet at one That's point. They used to sing that. That's right, they did. And I think, it, again, Tom, I think it's because we used to play them so often. Yeah. We often in the Ligazerm and stuff. And Underhill was one of those dying stadiums now that you don't really go to anymore that was in a yeah. you know, pretty working class area. You could get there on the tube. There were some pubs on the high road, walk to a ground. You know, it wasn't by any means a nice ground. It was very pretty ramshackle, but it had that sort of downtrodden character to it now to it and now you go to the new one the hive which is just out of town just completely soulless do you know what i mean totally yeah yeah it doesn't really represent london i don't think anymore though nice that the the, totally the sort of old school ground that i think we all well you moan about it when you're in there no doubt but um it had that soul and feel to it that is just dying away but um we need to wrap up now guys we've been talking for a while i'm gonna sort out the Hungary trip to Binacrodrome. They're very interested in They've got some deep fried Mars bars on the go. They need to speak with Andy about hosting the karaoke challenge and uh, just make sure I'll keep them out of the, the arcades, but um, it'll be, it'll be sweet. But thanks. Uh, thanks guys for talking. And we'll speak again next week. Take it easy. Cheers mate. Bye. Cheers guys. Cheers guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>